Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. All of us have spiritual needs, and turning to the words of Scripture is one of the best ways to meet those needs. The Bible can help us understand our personal struggles and answer the big questions of faith and destiny. The Bible, through the example of our ancestors in faith, can also give us practical guidance in living moral, ethical, and meaningful lives. So this week, I want to focus on one of those practical messages, why and how we live for the common good. The reading from the book of Acts that I'm going to begin with is one of the clearest examples of how Christians structured and lived in community. While the way people lived their lives 2,000 years ago is not always directly applicable to the current day, the practices of the early church community set forth general principles of behavior which are timeless. For Christians, at least, ignoring these principles is not really an option. This reading from Acts provides one such lesson. Acts 4, 32-35 Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon all of them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My sermon title today is One for All and All for One. You probably recognize that line from The Three Musketeers, the swashbuckling adventure novel set in, the, in 17th century France. The novel follows the exploits of Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, who are musketeers or soldiers armed with muskets. They were joined by a fourth musketeer, named D'Artagnan, who proposed the oath that the four swore to, all for one and one for all. And together the four set out to fight the bad guys in a quest for good and justice. It's a compelling story of good versus evil, complete with lots of swordplay. While the story is an entertaining adventure, theme of social justice underlies the tale. Now, what, you may ask, brings this story to my mind? Well, I was having a conversation with acquaintance this week, and the conversation, as it often does these days, turned to the subject of COVID-19 and the current vaccination effort. I told her that my wife and I received both doses of the Moderna vaccine and that we felt we had achieved a degree of freedom that we hadn't experienced in over a year. She replied, well, my husband and I have decided not to get vaccinated. We've lived our lives as normal and have not get, gotten sick. Besides, it's not really been proven that the vaccines work or are safe. A lot of people are getting sick from the shots. It's not worth the risk. Now, I'm, I'm not a vaccination shamer. Some people today report being criticized and shamed for choosing not to get vaccinated. I heard a young woman on the news the other night who said that she'd been called un-American, stupid, and selfish for her choice not to receive the vaccine. 
I don't characterize my friend as un-American, stupid, or selfish. Other than offering myself as an example and telling her I personally believe the vaccines were both safe and effective, I didn't try to convert her or coerce her into getting vaccinated. We parted with our friendship intact. But that conversation got me thinking about my own attitudes and behaviors around vaccinations, masking, and social distancing, and other related matters, and especially how they relate to my own Christian faith and values. Do my beliefs and behaviors jive with what the Bible and my faith demand? What I have to say from here on is a result of my own reflections. I was drawn immediately to that text from Acts, which I read at the outset. Let me read it again. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This passage is surprising and troubling to many American Christians. The early church community did not believe in private ownership and practiced distributing the wealth of landowners among the poor. They are doubly troubled to learn that Karl Marx drew his inspiration from here, from each according to his need, to each according to his ability. And these ideas became the basis for three great isms, Marxism, Socialism, and Communism. So are we left with the option of either abandoning the biblical teaching or accepting the political ideologies which conflict with our political view of the world? Remember, and I said at the outset, that sometimes the practices of our religious ancestors recorded in the Bible are not applicable to our own time and place in history. Instead of being put off or alarmed by isms, we need to look for the core principles contained in the teachings. Clearly, the core principles of this early Christian community was that of concern for the common good of the community. It was, to be sure, a radical concern for the members of the community. It says, there was not a needy person among them. The community didn't just care for most of its members. It cared for all of its members. Nor is this just a New Testament principle. Concern for common welfare of the people was also expressed in early Judaism in the practice of the sabbatical year. Every seven years, all debts were forgiven to maintain and reestablish economic equity. Deuteronomy 15 reads, Every seventh year you shall grant a remission of debts, and this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the claim that is held against a neighbor, not exacting it of a neighbor who is a member of the community, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community, 
in any of your towns with the land of the Lord your God has given to you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever that may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry to the Lord against you and you would incur guilt. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and the needy neighbor in your land. Well, it couldn't be clearer. In Judaism, there is a radical concern for the welfare of all of the members of society. The same could be said for Islam and all other religious traditions for that matter. We are to care for our brothers and sisters, not just in principle, but in action. America was established by people who held these Judeo-Christian principles dear. Although the U.S. Constitution spoke against religious favoritism, it's based on these principles. Among these principles is a repeated concern for the welfare of the people. According to the preamble, one of the six purposes of the Constitution is to promote the general welfare. And Article 1, Section 8 gives Congress the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to provide for the general welfare. The general welfare is not just a philosophical idea. It's established as an economic reality by our Constitution. One for all and all for one. Now, admittedly, intention with the pursuit of the common welfare expressed in the Constitution is the concern for individual rights. The priority of individual rights over the common good is prevalent in U.S. law. But U.S. courts have historically recognized the importance of balancing individual rights with the common good. Good interpretation, court interpretations of the law often limit individual liberties in order to safeguard the public interest. One way that this balance is often expressed is that individual rights are granted in the pursuit of the common good, or that the common good presupposes individual rights. Now, I don't pretend to be a constitutional scholar, scholar nor an expert biblical scholar, for that matter, but it seems to me that the Bible and the U.S. Constitution are in harmony in regards to the importance in our society of our community caring about the common good and general welfare of all of its individual members. Another biblical reference that applies here is Paul's statement from Romans. As in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. One for all, and all for one. We don't need to appeal to the Bible or the Constitution for guidance here. 
We need only appeal to our common sense and the general moral values of our communities and our own hearts. We care for, for uh, and about one another. The concern is certainly relevant during a public health crisis. In regard to our recent public health crisis, the current COVID-19 pandemic, we've learned a lot over the past 15 months or so. Here are some of the things that we have learned and some of the advancements we've made. Number one, COVID-19 is highly communicable and deadly. To date, there have been 585,000 deaths attributed to the virus in the U.S. and 3,250,000 worldwide. Some experts say the real numbers are much higher. Two, some segments of the population are at greater risk of serious illness or death than others. That includes elderly people with other underlying medical conditions. Although the young are less likely to suffer serious consequences, the virus is unpredictable, and people of all ages have gotten very sick and died. Everyone's at risk. Three, although the virus is contagious, there are effective steps that we can take to slow its spread. Wear face masks, observe social distancing, stay home when we're sick, avoid crowds indoors. Four, safety measures taken in the workplaces and other public spaces can greatly reduce the risk of infection, and they have. And finally, several safe and effective vaccines have been developed and are now increasingly available. If we can get close to herd immunity, immunity which is estimated about 80% of the population, it is likely that the pandemic can be controlled. We all have some important decisions to make. And personally, I'm trying to make my decisions based on the welfare of me and my family, while still with the concern of the common good of others. We are all connected, and I don't feel my rights are being trampled upon. Here are some of my decisions. I've already been vaccinated. I will follow guidance of public health experts and officials, including wearing a face mask at indoor public gatherings and continuing to social distance. I'll do all that I can to encourage others to get vaccinated without judging or condemning those who choose to do otherwise. And I will do what I can to proclaim and live a life filled with the faith and hope of Jesus Christ to help reduce fear and division in our society. Let's hope that our current challenges will unite and never divide the people of God. So far, what I've been talking about are things that I or we can do that affect the people in our immediate community and in our country. We must never forget, however, that COVID-19 is a global problem. As we make uh, continued progress and save lives in America, people around the world, especially in developing nations, are still going to be struggling with the worst parts of this disease. God's love knows no boundaries. God's healing should know no boundaries. The body of Christ knows no boundaries. We have brothers and sisters around the world. Another ism that arouses fear and anxiety is globalism. 
Now, while it's natural to put our own interests and the interests of those closest to us first, God calls us to care for all the people. Jesus' final commandment to his disciples was to go forth unto all nations. Until we can say, like the people of that Acts community, there was not one needy person among them, our work is not finished. We cannot rest. As a privileged and free people, we can seek to share our technology and resources with those who are less fortunate. Otherwise, this pandemic will further widen the gap between the rich and the poor, the hungry and the well-fed, the suffering and the secure. We will continue to hinder the coming of the kingdom of God. But we have a choice. All for one and one for all. May God shower the earth with healing and peace. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. This is Pastor Jim Melvin for Faith at Work. Come back soon.